Uh, my name is Katie. I'm a member of the staff and the teaching team here at Crosspoint. Welcome. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're here today. Welcome to those of you joining us from home. I'm really glad you could be with us this morning. So I want to start today with a little story about myself, um, something very tragic that happened to me two years ago. Um, I'm only half kidding. Uh, in spring of 2021, I was diagnosed with an allergy. And this wasn't just an allergy to like pollen or horses or something you can take Claritin for. I was told I have an allergy to coffee. Yeah, coffee, yeah. Tragic, yes, terrible. Um, and you guys, I loved coffee. Like, Anyone who knew me, like young adult years, like literally laughs out loud in my face when I tell them I'm allergic to coffee. It's that bad. I worked, starting in high school, I worked at the coffee shop right downtown that's now the Java Hut um, with Melissa. Hi, Melissa. It used to be DG Beans. Um, I worked at Starbucks in college. I, all through college and law school, I would study at coffee shops, like especially Panera because you got free refills, so just like hazelnut coffee all day. It was just kind of my jam. Um, I loved it. I loved it so much. And so in April of 2021, I started getting these really bad like stomach aches and throat problems. And through like six months of testing and like elimination diets and all this different stuff, I realized I have something called eosinophilic esophagitis. Try to say that 10 times fast. And you have to just kind of figure out what your triggers are. And yeah, it turns out one of my, I have a couple different triggers, but one of the primary ones was coffee. It's like a mix of the caffeine and the acidity. It's bad. But the problem is I didn't want it to be coffee. I still don't. So I cheat. I cheat. Um, I tried drinking decaf for a while, thinking like, okay, well, there's no caffeine. Maybe I can, you know, maybe I can do this. Nope, didn't work. I tried cold brew for a while. Cold brew is supposed to be lower acid. Um, and so I thought maybe that would help. It didn't. I thought maybe I could have lattes. It's like, you know, just a little bit of espresso and then milk. Like, maybe I can get away with lattes. Nope. None of it worked. Some of it I can handle in like really small doses, but none of it is safe. So I go through seasons where I'm really good, like I haven't had anything that even remotely resembles coffee in a while. I'm feeling great. And then I think, oh, how bad was it? Like, I really miss coffee. It's just like, there's something about it in the morning. My husband drinks it. It tastes so good. Um, so I cheat, and then I pay for it. I get like the stomach ache. My throat gets all funky. I get this like gross metallic taste in the, my mouth where it feels like I've been like sucking on pennies. It's really gross. It's really gross. Um, but, you know, I'm only human, and I make dumb choices sometimes. I know you can all relate. And today we're going to look at some dumb choices from the Book of Acts. Uh, albeit the stakes are a little bit higher than my throat problem. Um, so just for context, we've been in the series in Acts for a long time, a really long time, and next week is actually our last week in Acts, and then we'll be starting a new series. But to, to set the stage for today, we've seen Paul on his three missionary journeys. We saw him get taken into custody as a prisoner. He went through a series of trials, and now he has appealed to Caesar. He's used his Roman citizen status to appeal to Caesar, and now he must go to Caesar, and he has to get there by boat. So that's the context for our passage today. A couple things to note before we dive in is that the way that Paul would have gone to Rome um, was on a cargo ship. So they didn't have, you know, like a Department of Corrections that we have now that would have facilitated like passengers making it to Rome. So a, a centurion named Julius would have had custody for a group of prisoners, and he would have booked passage on a cargo ship that was delivering grain to Rome, um, and, and they would have sort of hopped on that ship and hitched a ride. 
We see that Paul was treated quite favorably by the centurion. Um, it may be been because of his status as a Roman citizen. It may have been because he had like an approving letter from um, Festus. But we see throughout the journey, like at one point they dock, they docked at a few different points to deliver grain and change ships. And at one point, Julius lets him go and stay with his friends for a few days so he can be fed and housed. And throughout the journey, he's treated quite well. Another thing to note about this journey is the time of year it would have taken place. So the passage tells us that we're in, it's after the Day of Atonement, which would have been in September or October. So we know that we're kind of in the fall season, like, just like we are now. And what we know about this season is it would have been a dangerous time to set sail. So summer months were like prime sailing season. Winter starting in like mid-November, winter would have completely ceased. Winter was like there was no sailing. And so fall and spring were the dangerous sailing months. But the demand for goods didn't cease, obviously, just because it was winter. And so um, Rome still wanted their grain. And so they created financial incentives for those who were willing to take the journey to be able to get the grain there. All right, so picking up in our passage in Acts 27.9, it says, Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. All right, so if we can put the map up on the slide. I've got my laser pointer. Um, okay, so they would have started here. Here's where the ship started their journey. They've stopped at a few places. They've gone here and here, and now they're in a place called Fairhavens. And before they leave Fairhavens, Paul stands up and says, you know what, I really think like, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't go on. We should stay. I can see the, uh, it's dangerous weather out there, and I think we should stay and spend some time here before we resume our journey. But the centurion takes the pole, talks to some people, and decides, we're going to try to make it to Phoenix, which is right here, a city that doesn't look too far away, but it would have been a larger city and a more suitable place to spend the winter in. It would have been kind of more um, available to them to spend some time there. So resuming in uh, verse 13 in our passage, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbar of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. 
So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Okay, so what's happening here? Um, if, we can go, if we can go back to the map, we've seen that Paul told them they should stay here. They take a quick poll, and the majority's always right, right? So they decide to try to make it to Phoenix, but they don't. They end up getting caught in a storm, and they are lost at sea for like 14 days. Um, before you know it, they're desperate. They're throwing cargo overboard to try to lighten the load. It tells us they haven't eaten in a long time. Neither the sun nor stars have appeared in many days. And they pretty much give up all hope of being saved. And then Paul stands up at one point and says, I told you so. Um, I'm sure he said it very graciously. But he, he tells them to keep up their courage. He shares a vision that he had where an angel appeared to him and said that he will make it to Rome to appear, be- appear before Caesar and that God will spare the lives of everyone who's with him on the ship. And to summarize the end of this passage, that's exactly what we see happen. After spending the two weeks caught in the storm, they end up striking a sandbar near the island of Malta and they all somewhat miraculously make it to shore. The ship is broken to pieces, but everyone makes it alive. So so Paul's promise, really God's promise revealed through Paul, is made good. So this is an exciting story. And as I sat with it prayerfully um, to discern sort of what theme I wanted to share with you today, here's what stuck out to me. This is going to be our bottom line for today. Even in the middle of crises, God's grace abounds. We'll see how God's grace abounds in our passage in the midst of a shipwreck, and we'll see how God's grace abounds in the crises of our lives. One thing to note in our passage is that at the point that Paul stands up and warns them to stay, hey, we should stay in winter where we are, um, there is some debate over whether he was speaking just as like a seasoned sailor. Paul had done quite a bit of sailing, and he'd even been in some shipwrecks, and so some commentators think that he was just speaking as a, um, as a sailor from his experience, and some believe that he had divine insight. Um, I tend to think it's probably the latter, and I think we see this bear out as the story goes on, especially because he gets this vision from God and this vision from an angel. We see God speaking to him, and it seems to me that he was speaking directly uh, with insight from God there. So Paul gives them advice, and they ignore him. They make a dumb choice, just like me, every time I choose to partake in a coffee beverage. Um, but what's, it's interesting to note what Paul doesn't do here, okay? He doesn't kill himself trying to control them right? He doesn't like go up to the sails and and try to like stage a coup or cut the sails and try to prevent them from carrying on. He simply stands up, tells them about the danger he sees on the horizon, and when they choose to go their own way, he lets them do it. It doesn't take long for us to see that this was the wrong choice, right? Before long, they're frantic and throwing cargo overboard and desperate and not eating. They're in total crisis mode. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, that feels a little familiar, How often do I, how often do we hear God's voice or maybe sense his prompting us to do this or that, but we think we know just a little bit better? Like, I just have to get this grain a little bit further, God. I just have to make it to Rome. You don't understand. If I don't make it there, I don't get a profit. I I can have a latte. I can totally have a latte. I'll be fine. And I can tell you countless examples of this with my kids. Um, Just the other day, my five-year-old daughter had like a soda can And she was rubbing her finger in like the metal mouthpiece. You know exactly where I'm going with this. And I said, Millie, you shouldn't do that. You're going to get hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad. And she just kept going. 
And sure enough, she like sliced her finger right open and there was blood and tears and then there was a Band-Aid and then there were tears about taking the Band-Aid off and the whole thing, it was a mess. And I could share countless examples. This is like an everyday occurrence in our home. Um, don't jump off the couch. I told you not to jump off the couch. Um, any of you with young kids I know can relate, but it's also not just our kids, is it? Like this is all of us. This is all of us. One commentator I read on this passage, Willie James Jennings, said something I thought was really uh, insightful. He said that Paul's word to the sailors, when he stands up and says, we should stay here, it interrupted something for them. It interrupted their profit motives, right? This was a grain ship. If the cargo didn't make it to Rome, they didn't get paid. So his word interrupted their profit motives and it interrupted their strategic planning. Those in charge of this journey would have mapped out where they wanted to be and when, and they would have gone about kind of having their idea of what the journey should look like, and Paul's word to them would have thrown that off. And this caused a lot of conviction for me, the idea that our own efforts at strategically planning our lives around what we think is best can actually block us from hearing God's voice. God may be trying to speak to us, but we get so caught up in our ideas of what's best, our strategic planning our idea of the good life, whatever it might be, that we choose to go our own way. I was tempted to sing a little Fleetwood Mac there, but I have a really bad voice, so I'll spare you that. I'll spare you that. Um, but this could be in a number of different areas. This could be with our time, right? Maybe you feel God calling you to like volunteer in a certain area or to serve somewhere, or maybe, it's, maybe he's calling you to establish better rhythms of work and rest. Maybe set aside a, a Sabbath each week to spend time with him. Maybe to invest in a certain relationship. I don't know. It could be any number of things for you. But we have our idea of how we'd like to spend our time, what feels most meaning, meaningful to us. Maybe it's with your money. Maybe you feel God calling you to be more disciplined or maybe more generous or maybe to give to a certain cause. Maybe you feel him calling you just not to be so uh, focused on like your bank accounts, your retirement plan, but a little more dependent on him. But we have our eyes fixed on what we think we need. Maybe it's an area of personal growth. You may feel God calling you to grow in patience or humility or to surrender a certain relationship to him. But we think, yeah, God, but you really don't understand this person. Like if you knew them, you would get it. Like, thanks, but no thanks, God. I'm good. I got this. And after a while of going our own way, we don't take the time to sit and listen to God. We end up at the end of our rope, right? How often do we do this? And then we end up tired, desperate, hungry, exasperated. Our throat hurts and we feel like we've been sucking on pennies. And isn't it interesting, though, that this often ends up being the time that we're most able to listen to God. Like, why is it that we're, it's not till we're at the end of our rope that we become finally attuned to his voice. He was speaking all along. We were just too caught up in our own ideas of what's best to be able to listen to him. And when we do finally listen, God reminds us why his plan for us is best. Paul shows us this attribute of God in his rebuke to the sailors. You should have listened to me, he says but not in a way that's meant to burden them with shame or guilt. Not like a 12-year-old who'd be like, I told you so. His, his rebuke is full of love. And actually, the word rebuke here, as I was writing it, I thought, well, that's, you know, it has this really harsh connotation. So I kind of 
looked for other words, the word reprove came, came up. And I really like the word reprove because it's this idea that you're correcting someone for their betterment. Like it's done out of love for the betterment of the other person. And that's what God is to us. Kind of like a loving parent. Here, remember how I said that wouldn't work? Come, follow me. Let's go this way instead. God's reprove is always done in love. So we see that in Paul. We see him offer a loving reprove here, but we see him doing something else as well. We see him stand up after they've been lost at sea and in this total crisis mode, and we see him offer another invitation to follow him, right? When, every, when all hope is lost, he extends another invitation to heed God's voice. Have you ever missed a deadline for like an invitation to something? Maybe like a party or a wedding and you forgot to RSVP. Um, maybe like tried to buy tickets to something and it was sold out. Taylor Swift, anyone? Um, maybe like a promo code, something you wanted to buy and there was like a promotional rate and you missed the deadline and then you don't have the sale anymore and it's a huge bummer. God's not like that. His invitation to follow him never expires. We're never too late to the party. His ticket master doesn't crash. Um, no matter how long we spend choosing to go our own way, God always beckons us to return to him. God's hand is always out open to us, no matter how many times we reject his grace and his goodness. Like Paul was to these sailors, God invites us, invites us to change direction, to follow his leading, to repent from heading down our own path, and to turn towards him. God's invitation to follow him never expires. So we see that in this passage, we see Paul stand up and invite them to keep the faith, to trust God with their journey. But we also see that the sailors aren't saved from the consequences of their decisions, right? They, they not only lose the entire ship, but they also lose the cargo. That was the entire purpose of the journey to begin with. And God doesn't shield them from that. And nor does he do that with us, right? Following Christ is not like I get out a jail free card while I follow God so I can kind of do whatever I want and he'll save me. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't wrap us in a little cocoon and promise to protect us from all the bad things out there. We were never promised that and that's not his grace. His grace is something better than that. God meets us right in the middle of our crisis and he walks with us through it. God doesn't shield us from pain and loss, but he meets us in the middle of it. Now you may be thinking, okay, um, I hear you, Katie, I hear the comparison, but can you really compare this like epic storm to someone who's in the middle of a hard time because of choices that they have ma made? Uh, and I hear that. There were forces at play here that caused the storm, right? There were weather patterns and things that were entirely out of their control. But they did make the choice to set sail during um, a bad sailing season. And it's kind of like us, right? Sometimes we end up in crisis due to forces that are entirely outside of our control. And sometimes we're at a hard time because of choices that we did make. And sometimes it's a little bit of both, as is the case with this passage. They made the choice and there were also forces of nature, honestly. But the good news is that God's posture of us doesn't depend on whether we're at fault for the situation, right? God's posture of grace remains unchanged. He always turns towards us with love, waiting for us to follow him. He doesn't say like, okay, well, you got yourself in this mess, so good luck and Godspeed. Lamentations 3, through 23 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
So these words were spoken, if you can leave that up for a minute, these words were spoken um, when the Israelites were, saw the temple destroyed and were exiled from their homeland. So this was a major crisis moment in the, in the story of the Israelites. And it was brought about by their own unfaithfulness to God and the breaking of their covenant with him. But even in the middle of their lament of the worst possible thing they could have probably imagined, they know that God's character is such that evil will not have the final word. In the middle of their lament, they say that God's grace is new every moment. It never fails. So we know from this passage we know from the, the New Testament, Paul and the sailors, we know this from our own lives, God's grace doesn't have an expiration date. We can't screw up so badly that he rescinds his invitation for us to step into grace. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is new every moment. And if this is who God is, a loving father who extends grace in abundance, then this is who we are to be too. All the ways that Paul embodies the character of God as he's present to those on the ship in the middle of crisis are the ways that we, as disciples, are to be present to others in our lives who are going through crisis. Just as Paul remained present towards those on the ship with grace and truth, so we are to be present to those in our lives with grace and truth. As Paul took a posture of being for them, even in his rebuke, so we are to be for people, not against them. As Paul moved towards them in love, so we are to move towards each other in love. We are to be a Jesus-looking, non-anxious presence, a companion on the journey through the storm. Because God doesn't work on his own, does he? He works through people. Just as God was working and speaking through Paul, he works and speaks through us. So I can think of a number of different examples from my life when I've been given the opportunity to be present to people who are going through a hard time. Um, one example I wanted to share with you that came to mind for me was from college. I had a friend in college who made a series of poor relationship choices that kind of left her in a constant state of crisis. And every time she ended up in the state of crisis, she would want come to her girlfriends for support. And a number of our friends started to kind of notice this pattern and they started to back away a little bit. They took the posture that I've given you advice in the past and you don't listen to me, so you're on your own. And I shared some of these feelings, but I also remember wanting to be present to her. Um, but I remember thinking that I only really had two options, that I could either kind of go the withdrawal route that my other friends were doing, or I could stay in relationship with her, but just kind of smile and nod as if being present to her meant I had to just kind of tell her what she wanted to hear. But through time, God revealed to me a third way. He gave me a vision of how to be present to her with grace and truth in love. So I remember at one point, this friend saying something to me like, you know, why is everyone cutting me out? I don't understand. And I was able to say something like, you know, here's what I'm seeing from my perspective. We love you, but some of these choices you're making are making it really difficult to kind of walk through, walk with you in this season. Through the Holy Spirit, I was able to be present to her with grace and truth and love. And I don't know that she heeded any of my advice. I don't think she did, as a matter of fact. Um, but that's okay. You know, part of our job is just to stick with people and to persevere with them as they experience the consequences of their decisions. And they're consequences that we can't fix, right? Our job is not to fix people or to control outcomes. It's just to remain present to them as God is present to us full of grace and full of truth. 
And I didn't do it perfectly, believe me. I'm sure I've screwed this up many times in my life. But the only reason I'm able to do this at all is because I first experienced God's grace towards me. As we receive grace, we give grace to others. And this is the heart of the gospel, you guys. The Bible says that those who follow Christ are to be participants in his divine nature. We get to have our eyes open to discern where he's at work in the world, and then we get to join him in that work. How cool is that? And when it comes to walking with other people who are going through crisis, we get to help them hear God's voice, if they're open to it. Sometimes they're not. But a lot of people have a really unhelpful idea of what God's voice sounds like, don't they? They think it sounds like guilt. They think it sounds like shame. They think it sounds like fear. And we get to be present to them and help them hear something new. We get to help them see that God is always turns towards them in love, that he welcomes them home no matter how long they've gone their own way, no matter how much of a mess they're in, that he always, always moves towards them in grace. So you may never be on a physical ship with other people in the middle of a shipwreck. I hope that you're not. I hope that I'm not. Um, But I guarantee that at some point you will be walking with someone who's going through crisis. You may be in that position right now. You may be watching someone who's close to you. You could be a parent of an adult child watching them make choices that you know will bring about pain or destruction or brokenness in their life. You could be in this position with maybe your own parent or a sibling or a friend And if not, not if, but when you're in that position, know that God is already there, right? It's not on us to take matters into our own hands and try to fix people or control them. Let's be honest, we all control a lot less than what we'd like to think anyways. Our job is just to be present. We can rest in the fact that God created that person, that he's already active and present in their situation, and we can just help discern how he's at work in that person's situation, We get to participate in extending God's divine grace to others. So whether you are in the middle of a crisis or a hard time, or you're walking with someone who's in the middle of a crisis, know that God's grace is active, God's grace is available to you, and God's grace never runs out, no matter what. So if you have an idea of how this message um, resonated with you and and how to respond to it, please do that. Um, If not, we have some action steps that can help you. The first one is take some time to reflect on the last time you went through a crisis. Did you experience God's grace in that crisis? Sometimes we can't see things as well when we're in them, but we see them more after the fact. Next, take some time to reflect on the last time you walked with someone through a crisis. And this doesn't need to be like a life-threatening illness or something major. This could just be a hard time. Did you experience God's grace as you were present to that person walking with them? And then thirdly, pray for God to show you someone in your life who's currently going through a crisis situation and take a concrete step towards extending God's grace towards them. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you are present to us when we're going through hard times. Um, I pray that uh, we would know how to receive your grace and that we would be able to extend that grace to other people. I pray that as your disciples that you would help us to hear your voice, 
um, that we would receive your love and your grace and your truth and that we would be transformed by that. Then that we would go out into the world as people who love you and who embody your character in the world. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.